0: I don't think that any place is safe. I don't yeah. think that any place is safe and the only safety is in resistance. Yeah. The only safety is in joining with people who are resisting this tyranny and it will happen in the United States. They are going to escalate the agenda and you have very strong people who are going to wake up and say no, I'm not doing that. You're not doing that to me. It's just uh, you know, it's a fascist tend, it's a fascist tactic to have the restrictions be just very gradual and worse and worse. And I guess if we did that, and we can tolerate this, and that's always been a that's always been the fascist agenda. Ready to live
1: at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's
0: your host, Robin Openshaw.
1: Hey, everyone. Robin Openshaw, and welcome back to the Vibe Show. Uh, The last interview I did was with one of my two uh, heroes who I believe may have saved one or more of my children's lives and for sure their health. Today, I have the profound pleasure and honor of interviewing the second one. The first one was Neil Z. Miller. And today, I want to inter- introduce you guys to Dr. Randall Neustadter, who is a doctor of oriental medicine, educated in Hong Kong. Dr. Neustatter, you've got a German name. Tell us your background. Where in the heck are you from? And how did you 30 years ago come to write this book that saved my kids as I was vaccine injuring them?
0: It's very simple. Thanks for having me here. Um, well, the simple story of my origins and my um, my grandparents and father emigrated from Germany in uh, the mid 20th century when all the craziness was going on there. And so I was born here. So that's the origin of my German name. Um, how the book came to be, I was working in a homeopathic clinic in Berkeley, California, and um, taking care of most of the kids that came into the office, and parents asked me about um, vaccinations and what should we do, and so I wrote a pamphlet at that time, which was in the 1970s. So I wrote a pamphlet, and then... Uh, publisher who's, uh, who was a friend of mine saw it and said, Hey, you need to write a book. And so that's how it happened. So that started, uh, first edition in the 1970s. And so then there were several editions after that as things changed. So that's how it all started.
1: Well, thank you for your work. It's it's just really exciting to me to be able to talk to you because when my first son was injured by the MMR vaccine, I actually didn't connect the two, even though they did happen immediately and he had been a completely healthy nine pound, 23 inch baby. And then, you know, he got the MMR when he was several months old and all of a sudden he's in and out of hospitals and emergency rooms and fighting for life many times for over a year, I didn't sleep because I was afraid he'd start coughing and we'd end up, you know, in an emergency room or worse, in an ambulance. Um, and it, I had spent five years getting him into this world. Lost his twin. Lots of infertility treatments. Four artificial inseminations. I finally get this baby, and I nearly lose him. And it took me a while until my second child started having the exact same reactions to the same shots. You know, just totally healthy one day and asthma attacks the next day, but it, it takes you down a path. It's just a primrose path. It's just one step at a time. So of course you don't necessarily connect it. Plus you just, you just don't go there immediately like, Hey, this really educated person in a white coat and here I'm just, you know, 26 years old. What do I know? Like it's not, it's no joke to question those guys. But what I loved about your book, the vaccine guide still have it. I've recommended it to countless people over the years is that it goes, it goes vaccine by vaccine. And so I read each one and my idea was, Oh, I, I'm picking this book because I'm going to look at each one and I'm going to consider the risk benefit analysis. And after reading your book, the only one that I felt was safe enough, like nobody dies of it was tetanus. But you also convinced me, if I remember this correctly, and granted, my son is turning 28 this month, so it's literally been 26, 27 years since I read your book. But um, but I also learned that, tell, correct me if I'm wrong, there's like 50 people a year who die of tetanus in the United States, and all of them are over the age of 50. And if you get any immunity from the tetanus shot, as an infant, it's long gone by the time you're 50 or over. So it literally makes no sense to get it. So how many of these diseases that we're inoculating children for, should we even worry about? Like, how much risk is there, really?
0: Well, first of all, I want to say that's a very harrowing story. I'm sorry you went through all that. Um, Even though it's a long time ago, obviously, you still have strong feelings about it which is completely natural. And that kind of reaction to um, vaccines is not very unusual, of course. And the the process of stimulating allergic reactions as a response to vaccines is very common and well-documented. And there's a very good reason why that happens. So, it's because the immune system is shifted into an antibody production state. And so when it's in that state, it's very easy for the body to develop antibodies and inflammatory reactions to all kinds of things because it's now in a different mode, which is really heightened um, heightened antibody mode. And so that's a re- that's a reason why allergies and asthma and eczema in kids are more common in kids who have had vaccines compared to kids who have not had vaccines. So um, the only other thing you asked me to correct is 50 people a year don't die of tetanus. 50 people a year have tetanus. So tetanus is um, usually not fatal. It is. It can be, but tetanus is so rare, uh, something like 97% of tetanus cases occur in IV drug users. So it's very difficult to get tetanus from a scratch or a puncture wound. It just doesn't grow very well as a bacteria in the human body. So my, um, my vigilance about tetanus is very, very low. I encourage people not to be terribly concerned about tetanus unless there is really a tetanus prone wound which is um, very severe, very severe or very dirty and tetanus is is common in wartime because of the severity of the injuries and necrosis of the skin of the tissues and but in just in modern life it's unusual to get tetanus very rare and even in on farms and even prior to the um, the development of the tetanus vaccines prior to the 1930s there were very few cases of tetanus
1: so we don't need to worry if our child gets cut by a rusty nail that was that seemed to be my mother and her generation's big fear. You know, I remember I got cut in playing in a stream by something rusty and my mom wanted to go get the tetanus shot and I just begged and begged not to and I said please just give me a few days. Um and I never did get that tetanus shot but I remember holding my breath for a week because I was supposed to get this thing called tetanus and die. Uh so this really isn't really a thing, right? And most MDs don't even know that that's not really a thing that you get cut by a rusty nail and end up dying of tetanus.
0: Most MDs, all MDs are trained to do one thing. And if they don't do that one thing, which is to give a tetanus shot for every wound, if somebody hasn't had one in the last five years, um, they are in trouble because that's not, not the standard of practice. So MDs in an emergency room or in urgent care, wherever you go, with an injury that breaks the skin, they're just trained to and expected to give a tetanus booster. Why not? It's this harmless thing and we give shots all the time and nobody reacts to it and it's all good. And then you have a 100% um, guarantee nearly that you're not going to get tetanus because tetanus shots actually do work. And um, that's been proven in wartime and among horses that get tetanus very easily. So um, that's just their training and that's what they do. And they don't know any different and they don't have any cautions or concerns about vaccines typically. And even if they do, at the, in this day and age, if anybody voices concerns, they're just fired from their job.
1: Yeah, I had an ER doctor friend of mine from Texas call me up a few weeks ago and he said, you know, we have, he works in an emergency room. He said, we have people show up and, you know, we're afraid to even ask them if they got the vaccine, the COVID vaccine, because if we have to fill out a VAERS report, we have to attach our medical license to it. And you don't you don't want to be filling out a bunch of them with your medical license attached to it in this in this climate. So it's amazing. It seems like there's about a hundred different ways that they set up for our entire medical system to be silenced and suppressed and have lots and lots of incentives to be very quiet, even as people die. So I know that everybody's going to want to go to your thoughts on COVID, on the COVID vaccine, you know, it looks to me like absolutely the most toxic, terrifying, uh, for political gain vaccine ever created. All the others were just warm up and creating the belief system. But before we go there, because I'd love to hear what you have to say about that, because, you know, the disinformation dozen, which is just a random group of 12 people that, 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 you know, seems to be a big media campaign to, Harass them, discredit them, destroy their careers, wipe them off of social media. I mean, like Thayer G, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, Bobby Kennedy, you were writing your book and I was reading it before any of them had ever even looked at vaccines. Um, or the ones who are parents, you know, like Del Big Tree, he's not one of the disinformation dozen, amazingly, and neither am I, but, um, but it's a, it's a shot across the bow to all of us. I mean, all of those twelve who are being persecuted. This is a big lie that sixty-five percent of the negative information about vaccines comes from those twelve people. But it's a shot across the bow to all of us. Like you better keep your mouth shut, or we will hurt you. Is basically the the idea there. But we you we you touch on smallpox and polio because there's so much about that that Americans think that is false.
0: Smallpox and polio. Boy, those are ancient diseases, right? Um, so, but first of all, I want to, I, I would just like to say that being on that list is such an honor. It is such a uh, badge of honor to be identified as such an influencer in the world to so many millions of people who subscribe to all of those people's Newsletters that um, it's it's actually quite an acknowledgement that um, that the government and their lackeys in the technology industry um, will actually try to single you out and get rid of you, which they which they will never do, of course, because all of those people would rather die than keep their mouths shut. Okay, so smallpox and um, polio. Let's start with polio. So polio was a big scare in the 1950s, which um, brings me to the fear of diseases. So fear of disease is, um, is, runs very deep. And so if you, um, are, if you have enough fear, then you want to do anything to prevent it. Even especially if you're a public health um, official, even if that um, treatment or preventive supposed preventive is going to kill people because your your fear is that more people are going di- to die of the disease than will die of the uh, vaccine for it. So that's just a simple public health decision and it's very and it's cut and dried. It's not the same decision that an individual parent or individual adult would make because it's their lives and that's 100% of their lives. So that's a different decision than a public health decision. So polio in the 1950s was a very fearful disease which was promoted in the media basically just almost as heavily as this supposed pandemic is promoted. And people were um, driven to distraction because of the fear of going into a swimming pool or sending your kid to summer camp. And so um, they made a vaccine against it, and they started a mass campaign to give the vaccine, which was all very well-intentioned and then lo and behold the um, incidence of polio decreased significantly in the U.S. and so that um, led them to say this is such a success this has saved the country but in England where they had the same epidemic of polio and they had no vaccine because it was a, an early um, trial in the United States, the incidence of polio in England decreased at the same rate that it did in the United States. And so that was not publicized, but that's a very well-known um, fact in the, among people who watch these things, the incidence of diseases and, and vaccines. And so it then leads to the conclusion that, well, of course, polio is an epidemic disease that runs its course. It occurred in the 20th century about every 30 years, and it lasted for two or three years in the community, and then it would um, kind of fade away. And so people have concluded That actually that's what happened with polio. And then the, uh, the final, um, the final, um, step in that polio vaccine scenario was that polio died out from the world. And nobody in the world was getting polio anymore except in a few little villages, very rural villages in India and other places. And, They were still giving the polio vaccine, which was an oral vaccine, but it was killing people, as they all do, and causing people to get polio because it's a live virus that's shed in the stools. And so anybody changing a baby's diaper is at risk of getting polio if they've had, recently had that oral vaccine. So they stopped giving the oral vaccine. They stopped it um eventually, totally. And so now um they still give it because they will never stop. They will never stop, no matter what happens, except for smallpox. So smallpox is probably the most deadly vaccine ever invented. And really? it was...
1: My dad got it every single year. He's a U.S. Air Force colonel.
0: Yeah. So it's... He did Oliver
1: North's job in the Pentagon, and he actually begged a doctor in the early 70s. Well, if I have to get it every year because you guys keep testing me and telling me I don't have antibodies after getting this vaccine over and over again, if this is so terrifying, will you please give it to my children? And his medical doctor said, no, I will not give it to your children because the shot itself is far more risky for them than than, uh, the actual disease is. And I, I've said to my dad, he's told me that story twice in the last few months. And I'm like, dad, would you please find out if that physician is still alive? Because I would like to call him and thank him. (laughs) Anyway, carry on.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So, um, so eventually smallpox did die out as most all diseases that are severe do like the plague, for example, even though I'd never had a vaccine or any treatment. And so smallpox did die out, but people were still dying from the smallpox um, inoculation. And so they uh, they did stop it. That's the only vaccine that has ever been stopped, except for vaccines that were withdrawn from the market because they were declared too dangerous.
1: Okay, so yeah, because swine flu vaccine what was that in 1973 or something like that was withdrawn from the market after 25 reported deaths but you're saying that the smallpox vaccine was withdrawn from the market because the the vaccine itself was so dangerous. How was it reported back then? And how did they come to that conclusion? Because they gave it for years and years. I got a smallpox vaccine. I do had one and I had a scar on my arm till I was in my early 30s. And then I started eating really healthy and my body metabolized the scar. So I don't have anything to show, but I had a big giant scar. What was that about?
0: Every educated doctor knows that smallpox is a dangerous vaccine to give. But smallpox disease is no joke smallpox disease is um, is associated with uh, with a high percentage of deaths, especially in populations that have never been exposed to it like Native Americans back in the day when uh, when uh, white people invaded their country and so All doctors knew that, but they were, it was the same situation. They, um, doctors today, unless they're really, um, living in a bubble, know that the COVID injection is deadly. How could you not know that? And so they give it anyway, even though they don't know the number of deaths associated with it. I mean, how long have they been giving it for, you know, since February of this year? So, it's all just a a great experiment, but it's clearly um, dangerous and causes deaths and but it's the same decision. We would rather cause deaths from this injection than have to deal with people who are dying from the natural infection if you believe there is such a thing
1: So do you believe there is such a thing? Do you think that they created? Um, a virus in a lab using gain of function research. I mean, we have spent tens of millions of dollars on that and we've gone to great lengths to put it through nonprofit, a nonprofit entity, e- eco health alliance. And Fauci's been involved with this for decades. I mean, do you think that it's a man made virus inflicted on us for political reasons or escaped from a lab? Or do you think there really is no? Virus, or do you think that there's no such thing really as getting sick from a virus and it's all terrain theory?
0: Uh oh, Robin. Now we're in dangerous territory.
1: (laughs) Well, we're in dangerous territory anyway. I've been one by one compromising each of my platforms and I get sent to 30 days of Facebook jail. And I've decided to stop really speaking up much on my personal Facebook page because Facebook has now narrowed me down to, I think, I think I impacted a lot of people. People tell me that constantly. But now they only show my content to people who are, it's like preaching to the choir, right? Like why, why would I compromise my ability to make a living on Facebook, which I've been doing for 14 years to say stuff to people who are already with us. Like the whole point was to wake people up. So I'm kind of leaving my personal Facebook page alone. And it's, it's kind of sad that, you know, I've got thousands of people on Telegram too, but they're all, it's preaching to the choir there too. So they're, they're, just silencing us down to next to nothing, but we're already in dangerous territory, but yeah, I am super curious with you I'm sure you've researched this a lot because you already had so much back knowledge, backstory knowledge on this. like what do, what do you think really happened with this virus?
0: Okay. So first of all, I will say that if they expand the list of the biggest influencers to 20, you may be on it, Robin. so congratulations.
1: Oh, I, I think that it's really obvious that that's just one of the waves because this um disinformation doesn't, and they also liked the sexy headline of pandemic profiteers. If you actually read the stories, they're literally talking about the fact that these colleagues of mine, I know almost all of those 12 very well, you know, are out there like promoting a summit on cancer, like take um TTIC, what do you call it? The truth about cancer, and and if you read the story, it doesn't match the headline at all. They're not profiting on the pandemic. They were. We've all been doing things like that. We've been talking about summits on specific health issues for 15 years. I, I'm a grandma on the internet, really. I'm not grandma in real life yet, but you know, we've been doing that forever. And no, we we all talk, and it's like there's the disinformation dozen. But that was just a sexy thing to say because it's alliterative and. It captures the imagination of the public. There's nothing true about that twelve people are spreading sixty-five percent of information. I mean, with all the pressure, half of America still hasn't gotten the job. With all the pressure, with all the bribes, with all the threats, with people losing their jobs, it's still only half of us who've gotten the job. And I I believe more will. The more they take away from us, the more will. But um, yeah, you're right. They'll there there will be a second wave and a third wave. They're just they're just kind of ratcheting up the vice grip and you know if it happens to me, it happens to me.
0: Okay, so I would like to uh, divide this discussion into two realms. One realm is the scientific, factual realm of what's happening and what's really the true story, and what are false flags and what who is who has good information, who has whose opinions. Are the most informed among the community of Dell Bigtree and David Ike and and Joseph Macola and Robert F Kennedy. These are the biggest voices that are discussing these issues with um, some of the most informed and um, and decorated scientists in the world. And so those voices are are very informed about the science and about the mechanisms of mRNA damage that's done. And you know, you can add um, Sherry Tenpenny and Larry Pilevsky and you know, and their crew, and it, it just goes on and on. These, these voices are, um, are not going away and they are analyzing the situation. Then they take the, that situation to the government, to the courts, and the government is like, what are you talking about? We don't recognize any of that. And you file a claim in court against a drug company or against the government. And the judges are like, no, I'm paid by the pharmaceutical industry and so I don't recognize your claim. You have to take it to a different court. But there is no different court. So, um, so those voices are informing people, but I don't think their lawsuits are going to go anywhere. Even the illustrious Donald Trump lawsuit against the technocracy is, is not going to go anywhere because the courts hate Trump. So that's one level. The other level is what is going on and why are they so adamant about getting this toxic thing into everyone, everyone. And soon they'll recommend them for children and babies, and they're already testing it on babies in, um, in anticipation of being able to um, inject it into 100% of the population. So what is going on? Then you have to turn to the great theories of the conspiracy. Because there is a conspiracy, it's clear that there's a conspiracy among every world leader of every country who gives exactly the same speech on the same day, read off a teleprompter about... let's
1: mm-hmm. say the same, the same words, like...
0: The same words.
1: And made-up words, but there there's yeah. five exceptions, and they're all dead now. There's the four in Africa, and then the Haitian president... And they all said no vaccines, and now they're dead, so.
0: Right. So what is going on with that? There is clearly a, an agenda, a worldwide agenda, to change the world in two different ways. One, to make a one-world government and destroy the eco- individual economies of countries and reformulate it into their uh, formula. And the other is to depopulate the world. So there is an, a genocidal agenda, and there are individuals in charge of that agenda. And why? So the why about what is happening can be taken on different levels also. So you can say, oh, well, they, they want to make money just like they always did, or you can assume that this is a very dark, demonic effort that is, um, that is beyond human and promoting transhumanism, converting people into robotic machines in a very slow process, but, um, a process that is um, progressing, and starting with our cell phones that we're all dependent on now, and next is uh, is Elon Musk's planting of a chip in your head that's going to connect you to all things, all sources of knowledge. How wonderful! Play video games in your in your head, and so those are the levels that we're dealing with. So what you're ta- what what you're talking about, what Del Bigtree is talking about, is the facts, the facts that are on the ground, that, uh, the, all of which you have um, mentioned, and those are the, um, the results, those are the effects of this illness, the cause of this illness, which is a genocidal agenda against humanity. And, um, and I want to applaud the European people, the European people who are amassing by the tens of thousands in front of their houses of government and saying, we are not going to let this happen again. We have, we saw this in the 20th century in Russia and in Germany and eastern europe and we are not going to allow it again
1: do you do you feel like that's why um in europe they have a million people in the street and we've seen it over and over again not through mainstream media of course but in other places alternative media social media Berlin and London and these other big cities, do you think it's that it hits so close to home for them that they just know more about history and they do know more about history and they know what the Nuremberg trials meant and they know what the outcome was, the code that came out of that that applies to countries like the United States? Do you think it's that, Dr. Newsatter, or do you think that it's just that uh, Americans are being more passive because this thing isn't as evolved here? Is it just that it's so much worse there? That's been my assumption is that there's a million people in the streets in Berlin over and over again, because they've had to organize because they don't have any other methods. They don't have any guns. I think Americans think, well, I've got my gun. So when it comes down to it, there'll be a revolution or whatever. I'm like, what is it you think you're going to do with your gun? Who, who are you going to go up against? Where is, where are they? Um, But in my opinion, Tell me if you think I'm wrong. I just think that Americans just still think that we're magical and that it won't happen here. And that that things like that happen in other places. And we haven't gotten to the level of food scarcity yet. And enough of our small businesses shut down for a long enough period of time. Like, they're just in a far more advanced state of socialism, almost communism.
0: No? Yes, I totally agree with that. And yes, I think it is because Europeans have... Uh, memory of this, and i 've spoken to um, patients of mine who say i 've seen this before, who live in the United States now and have emigrated from Czechoslovakia or some country where they saw this, they saw this all happen. they say, How could anyone not recognize that this is happening again? Everybody in my hometown recognizes that where I came from. Um, so the question about Americans is. Um, that it is not, the agenda is not as far advanced. And the reason that it's not as far advanced is because there is pushback. So you have 12 states, at least 14 states, maybe at this point, that have passed either executive orders or actual legislations that is forbidding the um, requirements for inoculation in order to go to college, in order to be in school, in order to um, be employed in a job. We are not going to allow businesses who have those requirements to operate in our state. So that pushback is very significant and and hated by the government, but um, but it is happening and it is part of the Arise USA, Libertarian um, Voices of Freedom movement. And so um, there's much more caution about instituting these things. And it leads Biden to say things like, we are never going to have a federal passport, which is clearly not his agenda, uh, because he wants it like crazy. And um, yeah,
1: why is he saying that? Why is why is Joe Biden and Jen Psaki saying we're not going to have a a passport
0: because of that pushback? Because they know that if they say that, then these states will go the limit. Some of these governors will go the limit. They'll secede from the union before they'll allow that to happen. Okay. You know, they did it before, right? They all these states: Georgia, Florida, Alabama. That have passed these laws, Texas. They seceded before. They'll do it again. And so the government's not stupid. They know that that um, that that's a possibility. And so they are kind of tiptoeing around that and resorting to bribery. Joe Biden personally will give you a hundred dollar check if you go get it. So that's I think that's the reason. And so Americans are not um, are not haven't had red flags come up in their mind because their personal freedoms are are being um limited and the the second amendment um the trashing of the second amendment has not made it into the minds of most Americans most Americans aren't even aware that that's going on because the media is what they listen to and the media is uh, not allowed to report that.
1: Yeah, you mean like all of the sort of indirect, slicing away at it a little bit at a time, laws that keep gaining ground against the Second Amendment. Like, you know, last year I became aware that there are these red, I think they're called red flag states, and there's 16 of them, and they've passed laws that if your neighbor tells the government that you have a mental health problem, they can come take your guns and you now have no right to to bear arms because some anonymous neighbor—I believe it can even be an anonymous—a family, friend, neighbor, whoever says you have a mental health disorder. Now they can take your guns. Although I believe the Supreme Court just made a ruling that that is unconstitutional. So I don't know if that'll mean that all 16 states that law will cave. I mean, now there's that precedent case, and it's at the U. It, it was defeated in the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, not just a state supreme court, but anyway, yeah. There's there's that war going on going on too.
0: Well, so. you, um, so you have the press secretary of the president of the United States getting up before a uh, press room meeting in a um, a meeting that has gone viral, of course now, which it, where she said that we are feeding as informants people to the technology industry who we think um, should be silenced. And so clearly that is a statement that says the First Amendment no longer exists. They haven't gotten around to the second, figuring out how to get to the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms yet, because um, that will lead to outright war. Among a civil war among people who say oh, not in my not in my house you're not taking a gun.
1: Yeah, my guess is the fact that there are millions of well armed Americans is the reason, like the reason why we aren't in the more advanced state of losing our medical rights that the EU is. I mean, we're still we're still going the same direction. It's still coming here, but I agree with you. I think that what's in the way of us being Europe is the guns. They just, they know we have guns and millions and millions of them. I think they'd like to figure out how to only sell ammo that's marked. But anyway, personally, yeah.
0: personally, I think that they're just biding their time. They're just biding their time until they have robotic soldiers in an advanced enough state and have enough of them um, produced so that they can have a Terminator type um, situation where a gun is not going to do you any good against a robotic soldier. And so, you know, uh, I'll tell you a story. My daughter lives in a town where the citizens of that town, I think the population's 500 have the one highway that goes through the town dynamited on both ends of the town, so that they can destroy the road, so that nobody can get into their town.
1: With the with the vaccine, right? I think I saw that.
0: With anything, with anything in any in any situation, and you know they're armed to the teeth too. And yeah, this is so a little and this is a little innocent rural town of farmers.
1: I was going to say those are the those are the places where you have a big um, majority of people who, you know, they they eat what they kill, or they have to kill what they eat, whatever that saying is. So they're all conservatives. You <laughs> really, you really, you're, really, you're going to be a conservative if you have to actually kill what you eat. If you're a government worker, it's really easy to be liberal because you don't have any idea where money comes from. It just arrives, just arrives every two weeks, and you're in your um, bank account as long as you go punch in at 9 a.m. and leave at 5 p.m. or something like that. So what 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 message do you want to get out there? I've, I was honestly hoping you'd tell me a different story. Every expert I have on tells me the same story about what they think is going on here. So I think that we all have to prepare. What are some of the ways that we can prepare and what are some of the ways that we can stand up to this? that you think will actually work.
0: I personally agree with David Ike that the only way to succeed is not to comply. Do not comply. Don't wear a face mask, which is totally useless, and just an um, uh, oppression measure. Um, refuse to get this injection no matter what. No matter what the requirements are, uh, even if they say you have to have a passport in order to buy food, in order to get into a food store, it is the beginning of the end if you start complying in that way. And, uh, and I encourage parents, I live in California, my practice is in California. I have parents um, asking me constantly what to do. And I tell them, and they do get out, get out of California, go to a safer state where they're less likely to or or completely unlikely to um institute these kinds of um draconian tyrannical totalitarian fascist requirements.
1: I like it. When do you leave in California?
0: Oh well I don't have little kids. My kids are all grown up, so um you know, I've got a I've got a little um exit route to Utah where my daughter lives and she said, Okay, come, come, come. Every every month she says you can come now.
1: I'm from Utah and I just ran from there because it's really, really bad and our governor is a terrible fake Republican You can tell the pain that it causes him when he has to say conservative words. He says the fewest he possibly can. He is as Marxist and as leftist as they come. He's as installed as Biden is, but he'll say really thin sounding vague conservative words. Like I am a conservative Republican. And then tells you why he um, vetoed our legislation that biological males can't come in and, swoop into a girl's sport and destroy girls' um, 10 years of work and effort because a biological male just walked on the field and they can't compete because of biological differences. Um, he he votes like that and he votes like that over and over again. And I think he's just uh, peeing his pants to get critical race theory into the schools. It already is in the schools under different under a different name, and he's peeing his pants to force us to get the vaccine. But he will say very vague, very, very vague words about, yeah, the kids aren't going back to school in a mask. That's Governor Spencer Cox, everyone. Watch and wait, because guarantee you, the kids are going back to school in a mask. And he did say that on camera, that the kids aren't going back to school in a mask. He'll just pass the buck. I mean, we, we know their whole playbook right now, right? So so you might go to Utah, huh? Where in Utah? We still have a home in Utah County, but we got the heck out of Park City. It's the worst.
0: Yeah, Salt Lake City is a dangerous place. I don't think that any place is safe. I don't yeah. think that any place is safe. And the only safety is in resistance. Yeah. The only safety is in joining with people who are resisting this um, tyranny and. It will happen in the United States. They are going to escalate the um, agenda, and um, and you have very strong people who are going to wake up and um, and say, "No, I'm not doing that. You're not doing that to me." It's just uh, you know, it's a fascist tend It's a fascist tactic to. Have the restrictions be just very gradual and worse and worse, and I guess if we did that, and we can tolerate this, and that's always been a, the that's always been the fascist agenda. So you just have to um, say no, I'm not doing that, and stand up for freedom. So the people who are leaving California are the people who have little kids because they have drawn the line they've drawn the line with kids and said you have to you don't have a choice in california you have no choice you have to get your kids vaccinated and the parents who say no have to leave or homeschool their kids that's the only
1: those are the only options for now even if they homeschool they're not exempt and they can still be forced to do it. And so you're right. Like lots of Californians I know who are pretty awake to what's going on have left. But um, Dr. Newstatter, I had dinner last week. I was in Utah. We moved out of Park City and I sold my properties in Park City to go down to Utah County where at least you're surrounded by a lot of people really angry about this and there's more people to stand with you. And so we still have a townhouse down in Utah County that we're going to rent out so that we can come back because my children are there. My husband's parents and my parents are both there. And um, we are—we have organized there. I think you said two really important things. The one you stressed was that you have to um, resist. You have to refuse to do it. But the other thing is you got to join together. So everyone, if you are not part of a Thursday group in Utah... A Thursday freedom group. Everyone's gotten very lax this summer, but Hey, we've just been told that even the vaccinated CDC says all the vaccinated have to be masked again. And everybody who sets foot inside a school has to be masked. I mean, you know, all those of you who are just like, Oh, we're going back to normal. Who've been saying that for months. And I've been saying, no, we're not going back to normal. So we've got to organize. If you're in Utah, go to takeactionforfreedom.com and click on Thursday groups. In fact, if you're not from Utah, go there because we've set it up so you can set up your Thursday groups. And if you're from another state and you want to set up your Thursday groups on our site, we're happy to, to help you do that. But joining together so that you know, who stands with you. Okay. These people tend to be uh, prepared to resist in any way possible. And we'll leave it at that. And organizing, having, have a meeting at your house. It's Dr. Pam Popper who taught me right here on this podcast taught me that. I've interviewed everybody on this show from, as you said, Bobby uh, Kennedy to Joe Mercola, who lives 20 minutes from me here in Florida. So I'm a refugee from Utah and it was a strategic location to come to Florida. And I absolutely agree with you that there is no safe place. We looked at going to Mexico and uh, what we concluded in Mexico, we have temporary resident visas there, is that the United States could fall for a very, very long time Before it hits the level that Mexico is already at just in terms of infrastructure and uh, terror of la la policia and fragile supply chains. And so I understand why people go to Mexico or Costa Rica or whatever, because it's cheaper. I understand that. But my friends for whom they went for different reasons, besides it's cheaper, they're all coming back. They're all coming back. So like the agenda is not skipping over Latin America everyone. But I think a bit, a very important part of it is to organize, slash and then click on Thursday groups. Another thing that I've become really passionate about, you guys, quick plug here, there's a, a free webinar I did is take your money out of this situation and learn about cryptocurrencies and learn about Bitcoin, inflation proof. You're going to go to takeactionforfreedom.com slash crypto. TakeActionForFreedom.com slash crypto. we formed a community where we're all learning together. Beginners, if you go out there on the internet, and you start learning about cryptocurrencies. Um, the jargon goes over your head really fast. So we're trying to stick to teaching beginners. Um, I appreciate everything that you said, Dr. Neustadter. I agree with you on all of it. I hope that you can get out of California. Utah is better than California. <laughs> it's just that Florida is a lot better than Utah uh so far. But, you know, I mean, Governor DeSantis could get voted out in a year and a half. And he said some ter- something terrible last week. He's bought into this idea that 97% of the hospitalized and dead are um, unvaccinated. It's completely false. And I really hope that somebody wakes him up about that. And then he threw in the same conversation that he did on camera, that he himself got the J&J vaccine. I'm sure he just got it because it's one jab instead of two. But Somebody needs to grab him by the shoulders and wake him up. I'm going to try to get Bobby Kennedy to call him. I've already been nagging Bobby Kennedy to please call Christine Nome in South Dakota and wake her up about vaccines. She got the damn jab too. So, um, I just appreciate everything you did for my family. If you go on, if you go on Facebook, you can see Green Smoothie Girl, um, a few hundred thousand people following there on our newsletter list and everywhere else. We have a reach of millions. And the only reason I bring that up, it's not something I normally say is that I've been talking about your work for the 15 years that I've been online and you didn't even know me, but I just want to point that out for everyone listening, for you, so that I have the opportunity to thank you for your work. And you might wonder if we're just blowing into a a hurricane here or if anybody's hearing us, but the ripple effect, I just want you to know that your ripple effect of the brave work that you've done that will save and has saved, I'm sure, many children I believe that my first child, um, stopping the vaccines when he was two, and my second child when she was two months, and then the third and fourth never got any vaccines, um, probably saved my third child's life. I, strangely, it was my first child that was in and out of hospitals and having the crisis. But I, I don't believe that my third child would have made it had I not woken up to how um deadly, for some reason, MMR is more maybe for my biological children than than for others because they both immediately had the same horrific reaction of terrible allergies, eczema, and and life-threatening uh, asthma. So I just wanted to thank you for that and give you a chance to um, tell everyone where they can find you and where they can get your book.
0: Well, I appreciate it, Robin. I'm glad I could be of help to your family, and um, there are mechanisms that are present in certain individuals that are probably genetic, certainly genetic, that make some people more prone to um, to have reactions than others. I mean, some people are even getting these mRNA reaction uh, injections and, um, and seem, at least so far, to be somewhat unscathed. Um, the damage, of course, we've been told is going to come later from them um, for the most part. Because of the um, chain reactions that it sets up in the body that are going to lead to devastating um, health problems in the, in the near future, like in the next year, but um, I would I should tell you that I have not been unscathed by this also my books have all been uh, publishers have stopped publishing my books I had a uh, a new edition of the vaccine guide that was written and uh, got an advance for it. And then they said, we're not going to publish it. And so that was because of the um of the extreme um, stance in re- in relation to vaccinating everyone in this agenda. So did, did um,
1: Amazon take your book off for a while? I remember about five or six years ago that they got rid of all the vaccine books and movies. I don't know if they kind of came back, but what what I liked about your book is that it was the perfect tone for where I was. I was very much, I was in grad school myself. I highly valued advanced education. I was getting a PhD in psychology. I was very much one of those who was like, I'm pro science and trust the experts. I was, I was not that I was saying those things, like you know all the people around us who got the job are saying right now but but i i felt that way i felt like i was really investing in my formal education and i valued it and i didn't want to hear anybody say that these people in white coats actually are bought in on a big lie and so to hear me talk now it would it it would be shocking to some of my audience to hear that i was highly resistant to the idea that these vaccines had injured my children. But what I loved about your book is that it was written in a very neutral tone. It was the perfect tone for somebody who was just putting their toe in the water like me and asking questions. And you laid out the actual research, lots of references on... I can't remember between you and Neil Z. Miller, because it's literally been 20, 26 years. But um, like one of you was just laying out all the data on how much less other first world countries vaccinate their children. Yeah. And I think, that, that was shocking to me.
0: I think Neil and I have the very similar positions and are saying uh, uh, synonymous things. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would say that um, first of all, I wrote that book for fathers, right, because mothers come in and they say, oh, I'm afraid of this vaccine and I don't know if this is safe. And but my husband, he's a stalwart science proponent and he believes. And so I put it in that tone specifically for people who are in the situation like you were of trusting the medical establishment, which is wearing very thin at this point, of course. Um, but I would reiterate what we s- touched on before that, um, people in white coats, people who are, um, who are on the front lines of scientific research are in a very precarious position because if they say anything at this point that contradicts the, um, the establishment line, then they're risking their family's um, ability to to thrive and live and have these guys, these these women and men who are doing research and providing medical care are in a situation where if you get fired, you get blackballed. You're not going to get hired by anyone. And so they are living under that. threat constantly. And in a position of, well, can I open my mouth or not? And usually it's not. So, um, so they're not, they're not all evil. They're not all, um, on the payroll of the pharmaceutical industry directly, but they're all educated by the pharmaceutical industry. And often that's all they know because the, Education is so consuming that you, you don't even have time to consider anything else in medical school or getting a PhD other than what, uh, what you're told in the, as the party line. So the answer to your question is uh, people can reach me just through my website, which is uh, cureguide, C-U-R-E-G-U-I-D-E dot com. Or people can send me an email I'm, I love emails at uh, cureguide at gmail.com
1: I love it, and there's a lot of vowels in his name, everyone It's Dr <laughs> Newsstadter. I've had to spell it for many, many people, and it's funny that you say that you wrote that for the men because I was in uh, Switzerland once, and I had a woman saying i don't wanna, I don't want to vaccinate my daughter, but my husband, who is Swedish, says we're going to follow the Swedish. Plan. I think they lived in North America somewhere, maybe Canada. And, and she said, what would you do? She goes, my husband is absolutely adamant. And I said, well, I can tell you what I did do. What I did do is that I stopped vaccinating my children and I didn't tell my husband. Okay. Now later I would divorce that guy and I certainly wasn't planning on that or else I wouldn't have had four children with him. But in, in hindsight, I'm really glad that I made that decision myself and didn't involve him in it because, you know, in the horror of divorce, when the party who didn't want the divorce, which in my case was him, you want to strike back at the person you're mad at, you could just take those kids in the car and take them over to the pediatrician, and the pediatrician's going to have no problem injecting all those kids. And so I'm really glad I never told him that. And now that they're all adults, I can say this um, out loud. But I'm not kidding. And a lot of the reason why wasn't that I was thinking, oh well, in case I divorce him, I don't want him to know. I, that I wasn't thinking that. I was. Thinking about how terribly punishing it was, the one time at a girl's weekend away, I told a group of girlfriends that I had stopped vaccinating my children. And the, the reaction, by especially one particular friend, was so angry and violent that I was like, I think I'll never talk about that again um, to anyone. So my, not only did I not tell my husband, I did not tell his family. I knew they wouldn't like it. Um, I wouldn't tell my current husband's family either. That's not something that I would tell them. So there's that. But then what I told her, what I suggest you do is that you give your husband, Dr. Neustatter's book and say, I will vaccinate if you will read this book first. And we have a conversation
0: about it. So. I think there, that, um, you were very fortunate because I know lots of, um, women who have had the conversation with their husbands when they were married and, and, uh, they have some disagreement about it and then they get divorced and the father takes them to court. And yeah. the judge says, we're, we're doing the vaccines. Why wouldn't you do that? That's a standard, that's a standard procedure. But in relation to talking to people, I think that it is, um, it's like talking about religion to people. You're not going to convert somebody from their religion by um, having a conversation about it. And so um, I think that's, uh, that can be a problem, but I know a woman, I know a woman who talks about vaccines to every person she meets. She goes into the grocery store and she tells the checkout person how dangerous vaccines are. (laughs) And one time she went into Safeway and she did that. And they said, and the manager said to her, I want you to give a talk to all the employees so you never know, right? It's, you know, she I've, had nothing to lose.
1: I've followed people out of restaurants. When I heard recently here in Flagler beach, Florida, where I live, we heard of a woman who appeared to be about 30 years old and her parents were bullying her about that. She's going to get the vaccine. And she was kind of like, I don't know. And I, we, we got up and walked out of the restaurant right behind them. And I, and I stopped the young lady and I said, please get a different opinion besides what you're hearing from your parents because there are tens of thousands of people who are seriously injured who wish they didn't get that vaccine. And so I think you're smart to ask the questions you are. It was none of my business. Stuck my nose right into a family's business. I have a, a guy friend who keeps with him uh, something, some resource to give every pregnant woman he sees. So your friend who starts a conversation <laughs> everywhere she goes, okay, this is what it is to be a great American hero, you guys. I don't care if it's... Just you talking to somebody at the at the grocery store, that's perfect because you know what? Even if they react to you really violently, sometimes it's the fourth or the fifth person who brings it up where you go, wait, I just have several people who have brought this up. Maybe I should start looking at this or gosh, maybe that's why my child has these severe peanut allergies and it was right after that shot. Now that I think about it, I mean, we have these awarenesses years later and it takes people speaking up if you're not speaking up because you're afraid of what people think at this point who are you who are we what what are we here for what is the point of our existence if we aren't willing to speak up when people's lives are at stake there's nothing less than people's lives are at stake and we we can be part of one side or the other you know we went John and I went to an elementary school and we got here to Florida and at high school and we just handed out flyers and we got kicked off the property and the police came and the and the principal came and we had a conversation with them and gave them our flyer and told them to please go to our website and people have printed out our flyer. And I hope anybody listening to this goes to takeactionforfreedom.com slash, I think it's flyers. You can see it just like the vaccine flyer and print some off. We've gotten emails from people who are like, um, I'm in such and such California and I would just like your organization to stop handing out your flyers in this building. And I'm like... My flyer, not not me personally. Who knows who downloaded <laughs> that and printed it? So yeah, I love that. I love that there that you know someone who's starting a conversation everywhere she goes. I think that's a great note to end on everyone. I think it's a, a great goal. It might be scary, you might have to swallow hard to do it, but you're not gonna be dead after you talk to somebody and you might just save their life, might change their life, you might help their unborn child's life. So everyone, um you can get the book, The Vaccine Guide by Dr. Randall Newstatter. Make sure you get that and give it to uh, someone who, who needs it, who needs to learn about vaccines. And thank you so much for being with us on the Vibe Show today, Dr. Newstatter.
0: Thanks, Robin. It's great to talk to you. And that's the reason that I wrote the book is so that parents could have a reinforcement of their concerns about giving those vaccines that have such devastating effects to kids.